Again, greetings, everybody. If you're just joining us, uh, you've tuned in to Genesis Gathering. It's great to have you with us. And I'm Jeff. I'm going to be facilitating any conversation that we have here today. And uh, as I thought about the week that we're in, week of Thanksgiving, and a, an appropriate topic and message, of course, Thanksgiving, was on my mind. Uh, the title of my message today is Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Many of you will recognize that phrase, and we'll get to it in just a moment. But first, something a little lighthearted. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought maybe I'd give you a little bit of Thanksgiving wisdom, okay? Because I know that Thanksgiving gatherings can be difficult, especially when you're with difficult people, or you're eating food that maybe you don't like, or you know somebody wants to start a conversation about politics or religion or what have you and it's just not working. Thanksgiving can be actually a, a, a difficult week and a difficult meal, a difficult gathering for people. And, and, and so here's, here's a couple of tidbits of ways that you can respond, all right, uh, depending on the situation. Number one, wow, that's amazing. Now see, that doesn't commit you. <laughs> You're just saying, wow, that's amazing. It could be amazingly bad. It could be an amazingly bad dish or food. <laughs> you know, the kids could be running all over the house. That's amazing. <laughs> that's an amazing temper tantrum they're throwing, you know. <laughs> I'm amazingly bothered and annoyed, but that's amazing. See, you don't have to you don't have to say everything that's on your mind. Hey, here's another one. I've never seen that before. See, just to say, I've, when somebody wants to get into an argument about doctrine or uh, some political, I've never seen that before. <laughs> here's the third one. How unique. How unique. They could be uniquely bad. The food could be uniquely bad, uniquely good, whatever it is. How unique. <laughs> Here's another one. I've never tasted anything like this before. How about that one? <laughs> That'll get you off the hook. I've never tasted. And here's the last one. I'd like that recipe. Can I have that recipe? You're not committing to cook it, you understand. It might not make it to the car, all right? But can I have that recipe? See, you're, you're just... Now, some of you might think... Oh man, that's, that's manipulative. I, I, I don't like being manipulative like that. <laughs> well, seriously though, seriously. This Thanksgiving, I think our approach is this. I am a friend, I am a healer, I'm a listener, not a Christian, not a corrector, not an accuser, not a blamer, not a self-righteous judge of your life, okay? That's how we go into Thanksgiving. That's where we start. Did you know that, you know, the old adage that you, for a bad day, you know, if you're having a bad day, you need to sing a happy song or you need to put on a, you know, that, that's the conventional wisdom is I need a peppy tune. I need a happy song if I'm feeling bad. But actually, sinking into a sad song could be better for you. 
says career coach Jane Scudder. And in a June 2016 study published in the journal PLOS One found that some people actually feel better when listening to sad music. Scudder says that sad songs may validate feelings of sadness and allow the person feeling them to better deal with them. Quote, you don't want to ignore it. You don't want to just say, nope, I'm not depressed. I, I'm going to listen to this happy song and I'll be totally fine. Don't do that. She says, that just bottles up your emotions. If you're frustrated or sad, give yourself a moment to be frustrated or sad so that you can move on. Now you say, sad songs, I don't, I'm not sure what I would listen to in terms of a sad song. Well, let me give you two suggestions here, all right? First would be Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks. Maybe you'll recognize these words. Well, I've been afraid of changing I've been, uh, because I've built my life around you. But time makes you bolder. Even children get older, and I'm getting older too. It's kind of a haunting, sort of a, a sad, reflective, contemplative song. Stevie Nicks wrote it. Uh, that's the lead singer for Fleetwood Back. Many of you know of that group. Stevie says that the meaning of this was very simple and quite personal. She says, quote, I was tired of being poor. I was tired of being a waitress. And she was recalling the days when her and Lindsay Buckingham, the gentleman that she was engaged to at the time, who entered Fleetwood Mac with her at the same time. They did so as a couple. The group was looking. They were looking for a new guitarist and a new vocalist. She said, her and Jamie only had enough money for food. They were living in poverty, putting a strain on their relationship. And so the lyrics to Landslide were born when Stevie personally faced the fear of losing everything for a dream of continuing with her music. And of course, today she's a worldwide superstar and everything's taken care of. I wonder if you're facing leaving everything presently going on for a dream that you have in your heart and you're not sure. Those can be dark times. Those can be uncertain times. But everything's changing. And as Stevie says in this song, I've built my life around you. What have you built your life around that maybe needs to change and that you need to recon seriously reconsider this Thanksgiving? Well, here's another one, and I I'm sure that you will recognize uh, both the title of this as well as some of the words to it, but Sounds of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. This came out in 1966. Listen, hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. Verse three, people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never shared and no one dared disturb the Sound of Silence. It, 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 their version of this, uh, the, they wrote it, of course, and sang it and introduced it. It's, um, it isn't dark, but it is kind of sad, and it is very reflective, and it has a very strong message to it. Garfunkel introducing the song at a live performance along with Simon in Harlem in June of 1966 summed up the song's meaning in this way the inability of people to communicate with each other 
not particularly intentionally, but especially emotionally. So what you see around you are people unable to love each other. Wow, that's so important. If there's any week that we ought to be more aware and have a heightened sensitivity to the need for people to be loved and cared for, it is the week of Thanksgiving, and we'll discuss more about that as we go along. But these words, they, they, they seem to haunt us. Hello, darkness, my old friend. There's a lot of people in darkness during Thanksgiving, and actually the holidays. There's a lot of people for whom Thanksgiving is not a great holiday and a great week or a great season of time especially because they're ignored, their voices are not heard, they're marginalized. And you know, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who acknowledge that this song, the song, song of Silence, has been a transformational light in their life. Now more about this song in a, a few minutes. I, I want to continue with a thought from it. The first line, hello, darkness, my old friend. I sent a text message to one of my dearest and best friends this week. After listening to two of his messages on video off of their website. And my text message read like this. I hate you. I just <laughs> said, hi, John, I want you to know I hate you. I, I sent that to John Master Giovanni. Many of you are familiar with that name or have heard that name, heard us, myself and Nina, mention his name before, and I just said, I hate you. Well, you know, it's an hour earlier in California, and so I think I sent it around eight. I didn't expect him to reply immediately, but I did get a reply quite promptly. And he said, well, what have I done to my good friend to make you hate me? <laughs> and I said, well, he, I, I called him then. After I got his text, I called him and I, I laughed and I said, well, I just finished listening to your two messages, your new two messages that you just did entitled Seeing Beyond Your Religion seeing people as people, not a theological doctrine. And I realize how worthless I am as a teacher. How, I just bow down at your feet. I'm, I'm unworthy. I just, I feel stupid. <laughs> I, because these messages were so powerful, so poignant, so articulate, so beautiful. I could only hope to be as articulate and powerful and meaningful in the messages that I give. And I said, so I just, you know, I hate your guts. And I said, the, the second thing is now I'm pressed with, do I ask you for the outlines of your messages so that I can turn around and teach them? <laughs> or do I just give in and I'll play your videos? I'll play the two messages via video for my church in a service coming up. So we had a nice discussion and talked. And he is sending me the outlines. We just finished a series here called I Am Human, Don't Hate Me. 
One of the key phrases in that series was this, just because he breathes. I love every individual just because they're breathing. I care who they are or their lifestyle or their religion or whether they're kind or good or righteous or who they are. I, just because they're breathing. You'll remember the story in part one of that. And then last week, our friend Eric Johnson, who talked about a more excellent way. Oh, that was so powerful. Somebody typed on the website uh, responding to that message that Eric, yeah, that, that's, that's a voice. What a, what a voice of God. Dear ones, this Thanksgiving, not everyone gathered in a warm home with a large group of family and friends, laughing, joking, and telling stories, will be smiling inside. Now, this is not to mention all the people who won't even have any of that available, the homeless, the addict, the abused, the disenfranchised, the outcast, the incarcerated. But the Holy Spirit has made me very, very aware this Thanksgiving of the beginning of this song, Songs of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. People still have and still need a voice when they're traveling through darkness. And all of us go through seasons of darkness and disappointment and being overwhelmed with life. And one of the cruelest, most crushing things that can happen to a person is when they feel marginalized, without a voice, and like nobody is listening. One of the dearest things to us as a human being is to know that we have someone, at least someone, with whom we can express how we're feeling. And that when words are failing us, they don't try to correct us, they don't try to change us, they just hold us, they just spend time with us, they just validate our voice. We need somewhere where we can acknowledge the legitimacy of the difficult feelings we're having. We need permission, or not, to feel those things. Do, do you have permission in your life to feel the things that you feel? Our cries of despair and anguish, even anger at God, are actually signs of deep faith. But not everybody can acknowledge that. They want to correct you. They want to change you. They want to tell you you should have greater faith, that you need to just trust God, you need to believe the Bible, all of these kind of things. And they, they don't stop just to think about that I need validation in what I'm feeling. I'm guilty of this. For 40 years as a pastor, my job has been to feed, to lead, and I thought to correct and it still comes out. I want to find a solution. I want to have a solution for everything that's going wrong in your life. <laughs> and God's delivering me from that and giving me the greatest gift of being a human and a pastor, especially, of just listening. 
it's religion that takes over at times, especially during the holidays, when what people really need is just somebody to listen. Let me give you an example of this, of the kind of religion that I'm talking about. And God help us, and God deliver us from religion over the holidays. And of necessity, religion comes into the picture, of course, over the holidays, maybe in its strongest way in hundreds and thousands of services all over the world and particularly here in America are held with a poignant message of religious fervor and religious change and religious dogma and religious theology and and, and that's why I so appreciate my, my friend's message in that, that he preached on when he said, seeing beyond your religion, not seeing people as a theological doctrine, but seeing them as humans. Here's John in the Gospel, chapter 9, the first three verses. This is from the New Testament for Everyone, which is a translation by N.T. Wright, which you know I'm quite fond of. Quote, as Jesus was going along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Let's stop right there. He saw a man. That phrase, saw a man, in the Greek is literally, he saw a human being. Not an individual. He saw a human being. As we read through this now, this is the condition of humanity. This is the people who are going to be with you this week at Thanksgiving meal. This is the people that you're going by and walking around and you're at the checkout counter and, and, and you're impatient and there's long lines and you get up to the checker and you're frustrated and you want to haul off and say something about their being inept or not being good enough or quick enough or whatever you're feeling. Oh, how religion takes over and we want to correct and make it right and say something. But Jesus didn't do that. Says he saw a man, but literally he saw humanity who had been blind from birth. I'm blind about a lot of things. How about you? I'm blind in a lot of things. And boy, that blindness can really come out when we get in a group of people where we see so many things expressed that are different from the way I would live, different from the way I would do it, different than my religion, different than the way I believe about the Bible. As Jesus was going along, he saw humanity. Humanity was blind. Teacher, his disciples asked him, now keep in mind who his disciples were, steeped in religious tradition, Jewish religious tradition, thoroughly familiar with the law and the Tanakh, especially the five books of the, what we call the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, right? They, they knew exactly what was going on here. And it's out of that they said, Teacher, whose sin was it that caused this man 
to be born blind. This is his disciples. Now, religion asks, whose sin? Get this now. Religion will always ask, whose sin? Who's at fault here? This condition they're going through, this trouble they're having in their life, obviously it's because of sin. So whose sin? Get this. Let's put that back up, Jeff. He saw humanity who were blind. (laughs) And we, like those disciples, out of our religious training, say, whose sin is it that caused this man to be blind? Clearly, there must be sin involved for him to be in these circumstances, to be in the middle of, of this trouble, this overwhelming thing that's going on in their life that's driving them, that's stealing from them, that's killing and destroying, that's causing them such a, a, a bad time of life. It must be because they're in sin of some sort. Watch, here's Jesus' answer. Look at this. He didn't sin, replied Jesus, nor did his parents. It happened so that God's works might be seen in him. So the religious mind is who's sin, but Jesus' mind is, I don't care. I love you, I heal you. And then all those who were around after the man was healed, so Jesus spit in the ground, made some mud cakes and put them in the man's eyes and he went and he washed and he could see. Everybody knowing the miracle, knowing that this man had been blind from birth, said, who did this? Who healed you? How did this happen? Who's responsible for this? Now, he he said, I don't know. They didn't ask me to sign up. They didn't ask me to give up who I was living with. They didn't ask me to stop smoking or to change my habits, to get baptized, to be at Torah study tonight, to give up 10% of my money. I don't even know the guy, except they call him Jesus. All I know is I'm healed. You have a choice this Thanksgiving week to just be average and mediocre and allow humanity, allow your humanness to drive your thoughts and your awareness, which always degenerates into whose sin? Who's wrong here? This needs to be corrected. Or you can elevate to the mind of Christ. It doesn't matter. And it was neither him that sinned nor his parents. Neither one of them. He wasn't interested in cause and effect here. That wasn't important to Jesus. He wanted to see the works of God. You know, I was thinking about... How much isn't in the Gospels when I read about Jesus being in a group of people, being one-on-one with somebody? It's pretty sparse, really. It doesn't like tell the whole story. There's, there's a lot left up to the imagination. And I, I was wondering if the reason we don't have more intimate detail of every nuance of what Jesus said at dinner parties or personal one-on-ones is because he was listening rather than talking so much. 
I believe God is daring us in Thanksgiving week here to leave our comfort zone, to acknowledge others, to lay down our religion, and to treat people the way he sees them as humans and not theological doctrine. I have a passage for you here that is just so poignant, so powerful this Thanksgiving that really speaks to this issue of awareness and whether or not we're just going to continue in a fallenness of humanity or whether we're going to rise to put on the mind of Christ. We already have it. We're already clothed with Christ. We're seated with him in heavenly places, co-crucified, co-raised, but we wrestle with a pagan, if you will, mind that requires being renewed. Metaneo is the Greek word, metaneo, to place God at the center of all of our thinking. We need that this Thanksgiving. Perhaps this will help. This is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 43 through 45. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be, watch this, acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Let's leave that scripture up. Look at this with me. Love your enemy so that you will be like your father. What is God like? Well, to listen to many Christians, to listen to Western evangelicalism, we're to love our enemies like God does, but yet God is going to torture them in a lake of fire forever at the end of life if they don't make the right decisions and love him back. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. I always operated on pray for those who accept the message, who change and show it in their life and who conform. Then I can love you. I can pray for you then. Jesus says, wait a minute, no. You are to love your enemy, right? which is the nature of God, he says. So God, God is not looking forward and God does not have any plans to torture humanity in hell for those who don't make the right decision because that's not his nature. Isn't it interesting he would tell you and me to love our enemies, but he's going to burn people in hell. Then secondly, he says, we're to pray for those who persecute you. Not only those who are doing right, living right, who have changed their life, conformed their life to the Bible. Hmm. Interesting. And then he says this. For he, God, 
gives his sunlight to who? Both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. You see, God's a giver. Not reluctantly waiting for you to change. He doesn't distinguish between good and bad, right and wrong. You measure up and you don't. You don't measure up, you measure up, and so I'll bless you. My rain is available. No, he, he gives rain to both. He blesses both. I say to you this, blessing isn't a result of holiness. Blessing is not a result of personal effort. In the Old Testament, it was do this, be obedient, and God will bless you. In the New Covenant, it's God blesses us regardless, and in that blessing, we find our way of being united with him in oneness and being like Christ so that we then can love and bless others. I bless because I'm loved. I care for others because I'm already cared for and loved. I'm tender and I'm kind towards others because I recognize how tender and kind he already is towards me. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've changed my life. And not because he requires that. See, that's the message that causes me to be thankful. That's the message, by the way, that will give you a listening ear this Thanksgiving so that when you're in those situations or you're at that meal where it's difficult and there's people there that are difficult and people whose lifestyle, ooh, you just so disagree with and it rises to such a level. Maybe the conversation is filled with angry words or curse words or it's just so, quote, worldly and it just grates against you. Does it make you want to leave? Does it make you want to leave early because you just, uh, this is is disgusting, I just hate this. Really? Let's consider our example, Jesus. It says that Jesus hung out with, had dinner with, and spent long hours with the scum of the earth. One translation reads, translates it, Luke chapter 15, verse one and two. You say, well, that's my family. (laughs) Those are our Thanksgiving dinners. Scum of the earth. It's so hard to be a Christian around my family. Really? Maybe you should stop being a Christian around your family and start being just aware of how much God loves them just as much as he loves you and he doesn't require them to change. He wants you just to listen, to embrace their humanity. Back to the song, Sounds of Silence. I'm going to play a version of this by a group called Disturbed. Disturbed is an American heavy metal band from Chicago. They were formed in 1994. I want to read you two testimonies, if you will, two comments one from a year ago and one from one day ago amongst over a quarter of a million comments about this song and the way this group, Disturbed, performs it. 
This is from Sterling Myers one year ago. Quote, I'm not sure if you guys read these, but just in case, I'm 71 years old, and I was about 13 or 14 when Paul Simon wrote this song, and it's always been a favorite. When I heard y'all, disturbed, do this cover, I actually had goosebumps from head to toe. By the time it got to the end, I had tears in my eyes. You, disturbed, have brought a great deal of justice to this great hit and will carry its legacy for many, many years. Out of the millions of views of this video, I'm sure that at least a thousand are mine. The words to the song mean so much, mu so much more now than when written so many years ago. Even though I'm not a metal fan, I will always cherish your version. To say this old man is obsessed with this cover would be a gross understatement. Carry on. God bless y'all. Thank you. From a fan in Tennessee. This is from a day ago. Jacinda Bloom. I quote, I love this song so much. Even though it has a sad melody and sad lyrics, the way he sings it is comforting and it relaxes me. Why, for what reason? If it doesn't, it doesn't bother my depression. It soothes it. This cover is absolutely amazing and it's my favorite song they've ever released. I've listened to it over and over on repeat. His voice is effing amazing. <laughs> I want to remind you that Garfunkel introduced the song in a live performance along with Simon in Harlem in 1966, and he summed up the meaning of the song like this, and I quote, the inability of people to communicate with each other, not particularly intentionally, but especially emotionally, so what you see around you are people unable to love each other. And I'm going to add to that, and because of our religious traditions, we're going to lower the lights for the benefit of those in here in the video screen. And uh, I want you, please, 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 listen to this and watch intently. Hey, Lord. 
special because it shows the musicians coming towards the crowd. If we consider ourselves to have a song, to be playing the right tune, the godly tune, the righteous tune, whatever it is, we should be making our ways to the masses of humanity. It's not a we and they. I want to remind you of some of the words, and I know it was probably difficult to understand some of it, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. I wonder how many people this Thanksgiving week could repeat that and say, that, that's me. I'm in a darkness. I'm visiting places in my mind and in my life I wish not to go, but I don't have anybody. Verse three, 
people talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never shared, and no one dared disturb the sounds of silence. If there's anything Genesis Gathering wants to be about moving forward, and I I have a team meeting with my leadership today to discuss what the new year and going forward looks like. And we're going to be discussing this very aspect of that nobody dares to disturb the silence. Nobody dares to turn things upside down and make things different so that we can reach people who this song is describing, which I include myself in. I want you this Thanksgiving, no matter who you're with and who you're around and what meal you might be sharing, I want you to remember this message. I want you to remember the challenge to get up and walk across the room. And instead of being judgmental, instead of holding them to a standard that often we don't follow ourselves, humble yourself. Treat them like God loves them, which is that he's, they're human just because they're breathing. God loves them unconditionally, and so do I then. And understand that there are people who are reaching and longing just to have somebody who will listen. Silence like a cancer grows, Simon wrote. Silence like a cancer grows. You can't sit in silence and reject people out of religious conviction. That is not God. Nothing is further from God's nature than the rejection we give other human beings because we think they don't measure up to God's standards and our own. Nothing is worse, nothing is further from the nature of God than that judgment. And this Thanksgiving, whoever you're with and whatever the circumstances, you have a chance to flip that to be the gift of acknowledgement, to be the gift of permission, to be the gift of recognition that they need. And I ask you to be that for me, and I hope I can be that for you. We're going to have a time of prayer now as we move into closing our, our sharing.